Okay, so we're on the next lesson of the uh, adult instruction class here on the law. And what I did, since we're kind of behind uh, in the schedule, I've decided to uh, preach. And it just worked out really well that this Sunday's sermon was on the commandments and the law. And I was able to take a good portion of the lesson that was supposed to be for today and, and preach on it. So... Um, so yeah, so if you want the full kind of understanding and instruction of the law, it would include both the sermon and this here today. So that's, that's what we're talking about. It just worked out really well. Um, <clears throat> so let me just back up a little bit because I did make an assumption there in the, in the sermon, uh, assuming that you're Lutherans and, um, <laughs> and that you've, you've, you've learned this and, and heard it. But for the adult instruction class, this is not technically or particularly for uh, Lutherans. It's good to re- as a reminder or something like this. But all of Scripture, all of the Bible is um, both the Old and the New Testament is God's Word. That's what we covered in the first um, and second lesson. All of Scripture is the same in this sense that it is the Word of God. So that you can open up to any part of the Scriptures and you'll see that the Bible is indeed the very Word of God, not that it contains the Word of God, but that it is. And therefore, it's authoritative, it's inerrant, it's infallible, it's useful for us. Um, with that being said, we find that God speaks to us in two major ways in the Scriptures. So that when we open the Scriptures, we find things uh, in two different ways that He addresses us. And the first way is with the law. Um, so the law is what God tells us and expects of us, what we need to do, what we, uh, what we shouldn't do. And if we don't comply with what he says, then we will be punished and there will be consequences. And, and you will find, you open up the scriptures and you won't find verses that speak this way. So the law says do and don't. And the law promises what? Does it promise something? Sorry? Yeah, condemnation and? Yes, yeah. So there is a big if here. If you keep the law, then you will earn eternal life. If you don't keep the law, then you will be condemned. So the stakes are very high, very high. Yeah, the, you, you can't, it cannot be more than this. It is, it is eternity. Uh, the, the, the eternal soul uh, is at stake here. So this is the game, right? I'm, I'm speaking of it this way. You live by the law, you die by the law. You do everything it says or, and, and uh, refrain from doing what it uh, re- um, rejects and what it uh, tells you not to do. And if you do it, then you'll win eternal life. Uh, that is how the scriptures speak. And it, it doesn't give any caveats or things there. It just speaks and says, this is it. Do this and you will live. So do it. And if you don't do it, then you won't live. And so the, the, the trick is what a lot of people do is they will take, they'll do what the Pharisees and the scribes did, is they'll just make a bunch of other laws and say, well, these things are doable, right? I can count my steps. I can not move uh, certain things, heavy things on a Sunday. I could uh, count how far I should go, this, this, and that, and the other. But what I can't do is control my heart. To, say, to tell your heart to say, just don't sin. Just don't do this. Just don't think this. There's absolutely no control over our hearts. In fact, um, our hearts act before we can even know what's happening. Our hearts lunge after something and they desire something before we can think it through. So it happens in a split second, right? Um, somebody says something, oh, you're angry, boom. Before you could think of it and verbalize it, it's already in the heart. So, so what would that mean? Are you guilty of breaking the law? That was 100% you are. So what, what a lot of people do is they try to minimize that and say, well, no, no, no. The things that happen in here 
they don't really, they're not technically sin. That doesn't count as sin. It, just as long as I don't act, that, out, act it out out here. So nobody, nobody sees it. The thing is God sees the heart. Uh, God judges the very heart. And so uh, consider it this way. Okay, this is you, and here's a murderer. Um, externally, what's the difference? <laughs> well, externally, externally, he actually co- he committed a murder. Yeah, so he actually committed murder. So, uh, so his hands actually picked up a gun or a knife or something or strangled someone. That, that's it. And your hand, what? Didn't. Your hand didn't do that. Your, your, hand ha- your hands haven't done that, have they? No? Uh, they shouldn't. All right. Uh, so, but now look at this. Um, take this away. Take the hand away. Take the body, everything else, and just leave the heart. And judge that. Would you be able to tell which one, just by looking at the soul, the very heart of the person, would you be able to tell who is and who isn't a murderer? No. Because what's in this guy's heart that brought him to murder? You don't know. Anger, hatred, rage, a grudge, revenge, and then... Rejection. Sure, but that's killing. That's not murder. (laughs) Uh, Murder is unjust killing. Um, Killing is... You kill a pig because you want to eat it or something. It's a just murder um, or just killing there. But you look at the heart, and if his heart is filled with um, hatred, right, anger, uh, grudge, and then you look over at this heart, and it looks the exact same, doesn't it? Right? The only difference is the action that this... This, they look the same. The desires are the same. The intention, the, 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 um, yeah, the, the sin in the heart is the same. But it ended up in different ways. One maybe spoke it, one acted it out. But if God is judging the heart, then where, where do you stand? You stand guilty of breaking the fifth commandment. That's the law. Yes? What about, Pastor, the, if you're looking at the injustices in the world, you know, the people that are doing this heinous things, mm-hmm. you know, child trafficking or whatever, you look at these people, and I mean, I'm not to look at something like that and be, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, so, but still, that's, that's the same. So, yeah. yeah, well, precisely. So, w- I, I, I could have gone more into this in the sermon. Um, w- we're not saying, okay, let me put it this way. Uh, so, So here's God and here's your neighbor. So every human being is in the relationship between both with God and his neighbor. Um, when it comes to this, your relationship with your neighbor, certain sins have different degrees and they have different amounts of damage, right? So I, I alluded to this in the sermon that, look, if you insult your brother, that's bad, but he can recover from it. I've been insulted, and I'm, guess what? I'm still here. If somebody murdered me, then I can't recover from that, right? So the damage of murder is significantly worse than, uh, than simply insulting your brother or even just being angry with him in your heart. Somebody cuts you off in the road and, ah, you, you, you curse or something. Well, that is coming from the heart. It just didn't cause any damage, right, or as much damage. However, this is called... Uh, in, in theology, quorum mundo, or quorum hominibus, before the face of man. So before the face of man, we have these different degrees and levels, and it's true, and we, we can't deny that. We can't say, well, um, it, as a pastor, I wouldn't treat somebody who murdered and somebody who is angry with their brother in the same way. As a pastor, I would approach the situation completely differently. Um, although the, the heart of it is the same, is the sin before uh, of breaking the fifth commandment. However, so yes, we have varying degrees, things like this. But from God's point of view, right, think of it, he's looking down. Um, all of these sins are looking what? 
the same. They're all looking the same. Does he know the differences in the, the degrees? Yes, he does. He knows uh, the differences of the damage that they caused. But again, um, your way to heaven is not simply by being better than the person next to you. Your way into heaven is perfection. And something that is not perfect, how, how, how much imperfection does something need to be imperfect? One, One per- imperfection. And if the standard of heaven is perfection, and you, do, and you have just one blemish, even in your heart, one spot or stain or wrinkle, well, then your heart is sin, is sinful. So, yeah, so on the same, so as, as Lutherans, we recognize this distinction, and we can make this distinction clearly. Theologically, uh, there is a, uh, no, no difference between the sins before the face of God. He will condemn all. All who are not perfect, who don't live up to a standard, they cannot win eternal life. Uh, in the face of this world, we can also distinguish between sins and curb sins and say, look, this sin is, is very bad uh, precisely because it causes so much damage and you cannot come back from this. You go down this road, you can't undo these things. So again, something I said kind of last week, um, in, before the face of man, I'm talking this, this realm, the sin in my heart is, doesn't affect you guys. Does it? Because can you see my heart? We don't see it. You don't see it. You don't even hear what's in my heart. So I could be murmuring against you and uh, whatever, but it doesn't. It doesn't affect you at all because you don't hear a thing. Uh, what affects you more, those thoughts or my words? My words. What affects you more, my words or my hands? My hands, right? Uh, then you can injure the body instead of just uh, disrespect someone or something with with the mouth. So, yeah, there, there are degrees, of course, but, and there are degrees of damage. But when we're talking about uh, getting into heaven and following the law and keeping the law perfectly, this is the standard. Do it, don't do it. And it's not just enough to have a superficial keeping of the law. I, I didn't murder anyone. Are you angry at someone? Did, have you ever held a grudge at someone? Have you cut someone off from your life? Have you just said you, you fool to someone? In, in, in an unrighteous way. Have you ever called someone dumb? Uh, I think, um, yeah, George Carlin, he's a bad comedian. Uh, don't listen to him. But he had a, a good bit where he said, have you ever realized that everyone who drives slower than you is an idiot and everyone who drives faster than you is crazy? Right? <laughs> so, so that you're, you're the standard, right? And, and so like, if you're faster than me by a mile, you're like, oh, you crazy person. Or... You know, you're, you're an idiot. Why don't you drive faster? So, but this, I mean, even that, even that thought alone is sin. Say, you fool, right? So th- this is, again, all I'm talking about is the standard. I'm not even on the point of, um, of uh, keeping the law or anything. I'm simply putting the full law before you. <clears throat> okay, so this is what we have. Do, don't do. There's no try. <laughs> Uh, and if, if you do this, then you will live. And if you don't do it, you're lost. Uh, okay, that is the first way that the scriptures speak to us, is the law. The second is the gospel. And this is so incredibly important. Um, uh, the, the law is do this, don't do this, if, and this is... For God and for your neighbor. So you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Uh, love your neighbor as yourself. There. That encompasses the entirety of the law. Uh, do those things. And it's, it's outward. So it's you giving outward. This way, this way, this way, this way to all people. Um, okay. The gospel then is the opposite. It doesn't say do or don't, but done. Um, And it is not if, but it is given. And it's not that you do something for someone, but this is something that is for you. That's beautiful. Sorry? 
define what you mean by gospel. The gospel is Christ crucified for the forgiveness of all of our sins. Okay. That, is, that is the gospel. That Christ, uh, the, the Son of God himself, God of God, light of light, who for, for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven, uh, opened up his veins, poured out his life, uh, and died for sinners. Uh, this is it. This is what the gospel is. And this then is where Jesus says it is finished. It's done. It's completed. Um, this is something that is given to you and not earned. It is a gift. Um, and right, the, the wages of sin is death. But the, uh, but, um, the free gift of God is eternal life. Um, and that this is something that is for you. So <clears throat> these are, this is the way the scriptures speak in both ways. Uh, to say, do this, don't do this. And then it also says, well, this is done for you. Um, and unless you know this distinction in the scriptures, the Bible remains a closed book to you. And when you read it, you'll read it and see, and you'll come to the conclusion that God is um, contradicting himself. And you'll say, well, why does he say this here and say this here? Why did he say the law here? And then why did he say the gospel here? So, um, if you don't know the distinction between the law and the gospel, then uh, you, the, the Bible is unintelligible to you, and it'll, it'll be closed to you. And this is something that the scriptures themselves speak. Um, the point is that the law and the gospel don't contradict themselves, uh, but he has different purposes in speaking the very word. Um, so let, let me put it this way. What's the point of the gospel? Well, let, let me back up. Just a few myths about law and gospel. Don't think that the Old Testament is the law and the New Testament is the gospel. That's wrong. The law and gospel is the very substance of the scriptures, the very substance of what God speaks. Is there law even in the Garden of Eden? Yeah. Don't eat of this. Um, is there gospel even there in that same garden? Yeah. Um, I will put enmity between you and her offspring. And he will crush his head, and uh, he will crush your head, and you will crush his heel. That's the gospel, the very first mention of the gospel. Um, all throughout the scriptures, I mean, you, you see this in the Old Testament. I will give men in exchange for your life, the Lord says. This is in Isaiah. Comfort, comfort, my people. I've uh, given double for all of your sins. That's the Old Testament. That, that sounds like the gospel, right? And it is the gospel. And then in the New Testament, you also have not only the gospel, but the law. Um, uh, you, you, j- just the, the lesson today. Um, uh, you, you heard Jesus teaching on, on the, the law. Um, the very scriptures, the New Testament ends by saying, if anyone adds to this book, these plagues will be added to him. If anyone subtracts from this book, uh, his share in eternal life will be subtracted from him. That is a law. So, again, so the first myth is to think, well, the Old Testament is the law and the New Testament is the gospel. No, the law and gospel is throughout the entire scriptures, all of it, from beginning to end. The second thing is this, to think that the law is bad and the gospel is good. That's another myth. To say, well, well the law, because it says this, it's a, he's being mean when he says this and it's a big tough word so that's mean and that's bad and no here's the gospel and it's nice sweet words and it's forgiveness he's kind he's loving and that's good well no they're both good uh psalm 119 uh the psalmist says i love your law O lord (laughs) um so he talks about the very law of god um, blessed is the man who meditates on the law day and night, so on and so forth. It's all throughout the scriptures that we're considering the word of God, all of it, both the law, the commands, and the promises. You quoted Psalm 1, where it's a blessed man who meditates on God's law day and night. Should we also meditate on God's gospel day and night? Well, so the word law there, yeah, is Torah, okay. so which is word, um, which is all the scriptures. And so it's both, right? So okay. when we say... Basically, blessed is the man who uh, meditates on the Torah day and night. Is Blessed is the one who meditates on God's words day and night. Both his commands and his promises. So, yeah. Um, so that's the, that's the distinction here. And we don't want to say that the Old 
the Old Testament is bad, the New Testament is good, or whatever that is. Um, both are good. The law is good, and the gospel is good. Uh, consider it this way. The, the law kind of shows you what you look like in reality, uh, wh- where you measure up to. And uh, if you don't like the way you look in the mirror, what's the problem? You, not the mirror. <laughs> you don't blame the mirror and say, well, what, what's wrong with this thing? You say, that's what I look like. And I don't like that. And I don't like the way I look this way or where my eyes are, my ears are, something. Um, the, the blame goes, the, the better the mirror, the clearer the picture is going to be of you and what you look like. So that's it. That's the law and the gospel. Um, by the way, I'll give you some biblical proof for this. Romans 3.21. I just want to be clear that this isn't a paradigm that we impose on the scriptures, but it's truth that we draw from the scriptures and we learn uh, to read the scriptures by reading the scriptures. Um, Romans. Three twenty one says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Um, okay, just to stop there. So the, the scriptures make this distinction between the righteousness of God revealed apart from the law. So you have righteousness of God, and here you have the righteousness of man. <laughs> um, uh, what you accomplish versus what God ha- has accomplished for you. Um, <clears throat> there, there are two sources of righteousness. You have, there's a righteousness that comes from the law that is of works. And then you have a righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And that's precisely what this is saying. The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, apart from the very works, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God comes through what? Faith in Christ Jesus, which is not doing things but believing. So here, the law is do, do, do. And then this is trust faith and you are having you are trusting and you are having faith that what that is done for you that's that's the heart of what it means to be a christian to say i trust fully i will stake my salvation my eternal life on it a thousand times if i have to i will stake it on christ and him crucified and him dying on the cross that that was the he paid the penalty for all of my sins there on the cross i will trust that uh when dying Right? So you're, there's trust and faith there. And there's nothing for you to do there. Simply to believe it. Yes? That's, that's how so many people justify that they don't have to pay attention to you. So how do you reconcile those two? Because I know lots and lots of, lots of people who say, well, Jesus forgives me, so. Yeah. I mean, it's, I'm, I, mean I know what we call it, cheap grace, but... No, I'm, I'm with you here. I'll get there in a second. And I'm, okay. I, I know exactly where you're going. Yes. Um, let me tell you this first before we get to what that means for, for the law here. Um, okay. Doesn't the, isn't the law referred to as our schoolmaster? Yep. Yeah. And I think it's easy to see that we're looking at our behaviors and actions through the law, but we're yeah, we'll get there in a second here. Um, so I'll talk about the functions of the law, the things that the law does. But I'm talking about the law in, its, in just what it is, what it, what it demands. Um, so we'll get to those. I'll address those two things. Um, the second thing I want to show you is Galatians 2.16. And here, Paul just flat out says, we know 
that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, what? No one will be justified. I mean, uh, to be not justified means to be guilty. So if, if this is demanding that the very thoughts of your heart be pure and 100% holy every single second, nanosecond of your life, and you do not do this, then you are guilty. And then here it says, and uh, no one will be justified, uh, uh, sorry, in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So if, if you're going to go down this road and say, I'm going to earn my salvation, you're not going to make it to the other side, period. Because the law is simply too much for you. That's all, that's all it is. It, so we are talking about the law and when it concerns your salvation, um, if you're trying to earn your way to heaven. So this means that, um, I don't know, uh, a Muslim who's keeping laws all of the time, uh, living a fairly outwardly good, decent, and, I don't know, good life, um, does this do, do anything for salvation? W what about a heathen, an unbeliever, who rejects Christ, but in every other way lives a good life, helps people, gives billions of dollars to help poorer countries and save children and everything. Sorry? Bill Gates. Yeah, who does all these good things. Does that, do any, does that count for anything in his salvation? No, because he still falls short. So the billions of dollars he, he gave is what? That's not enough. Yeah, so, so it's good for the neighbors. Sure, we got free money, but... Um, it does nothing before to please God. In fact, God is not pleased. Uh, the scriptures speak very clearly of that. Even their good works are what? A filthy rag before his throne. Uh, the, the word there in Hebrew is very pointed. It's like used toilet paper before God. So he is um, offended by that. Like he's, he, he scoffs at this and, and is disgusted by this. To say, here's my good works. But by the way, it's just covered in, in selfishness, in pride, in, in, in stained in sin and all this stuff. Well, here you go. God doesn't want that. That's what he says. So, okay, that's, that's the gravity of the law. And that's all I'm getting uh, to. Um, let me move to the next part. Um, so... We have the, the law, and there's only one law. It's what God commands. That's the definition of a sin, anything that goes against what God commands. Um, you do anything against him, that is then considered sin. However, this same law has what we call three functions. Or um, it encounters us in three different states and ways. Okay? So the first function... Right? I'll put it like this. This might be easier. Um, the first, the second, and the third use. The first is the curb. Right? So that you would look at the, the law and then you would sit like a, like a curb on a road or something. It kind of keeps you. You can bump up against it, but it keeps you kind of on the right way. So um, we also call this the political use. So, meaning, um, what drives down um, murder and assault? The death penalty. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You make the death penalty very painful and with a lot of suffering, people will think twice. It's not going to stop all murder. Murder is going to happen. But it'll slow it down and it'll cause somebody to think first to say, do I really want to punch this guy in the face to go to jail? Do I really, do I really want to uh, murder this man? What are they going to do to me in jail? And then what are they going to do to me in the death penalty? And what, that, just that has stopped a lot of people. That there, there were a, say there's a ton of people who are angry with their brother, 
and this curve, this political use stops all of these people. And maybe a few make it through and say, I don't care. This is worth it. And they just go ahead and do it. Um, but this, uh, this stops people. It's like, for example, like speeding. Why don't you speed all of the time? Right? Uh, yeah, exactly. Because uh, they're going to give you a ticket and you don't want to pay it. Um, if not, it makes sense to <laughs> speed. You just get there faster. <laughs> um, so, so, but that curves people from doing that. Or do, do you stop at every stoplight or stop sign or something? Um, if there were no law kind of restricting that behavior and giving a consequence, then it would be lawlessness. I mean, it, it would, everything would be chaotic, right? Okay, that's the first use. And this affects, so this affects all people. All people, so every single person. So it doesn't matter. You could be a Scientologist, a Muslim, a Jew, a Christian, and you're caught speeding. You're going to get the same ticket. That's it. Your, your faith, uh, your good works, whatever, just doesn't matter at that point. Um, you just broke the law. So then this affects every single person. We're all under the same thing. Now, what I preached on today was this. The second <coughs> use of the law, or second function, that the law encounters us at a, at a different stage. Um, meaning, I, I don't want you to see this as three different groups of people, per se, or three laws, three different laws. It's all the same law, but as it's being preached to you, it's going to affect you in a certain way. So that um, there's a certain law, don't murder. Well, the reason I don't want to murder is because I don't want to get caught. Okay. Uh, this here, though, everything changes. This is called the mirror. Whoops. Um, and this is what we call the theological use. Um, this is the chief and most important function of the law, is this one, which is, it's a mirror and it shows you what you look like. And so it's the theological use like I showed you today, um, that, look, uh, what's the purpose of preaching this law? Uh, like that footballer, um, the, the quarterback, uh, he refuses to believe that he can't play the game. He says, I'm going to play, my, uh, my collar's not broken, I'm, I don't care. And then the doctor says, well, just do this. And then he can't do it. And then he realizes what? I guess it's really broken. When before he refused to believe it, and then now when he tries it, he sees, oh my goodness, I can't even do that. So in the same way, the law, this is what the law is doing. God says, the words from Jesus' mouth are, don't, don't even, if you're angry with your brother, you've murdered him in your heart. And he leaves it at that. And he says, so now you can see what, uh, what your heart looks like. Your heart is, is full of, of it. Now, this is, there, there, there's a change here because now you're not just scared of the, right, the authorities, right? Uh, you're not just scared of the authorities or your parents uh, disciplining you or the policeman getting you or the executioner, right? That's what a lot of people are afraid of. That's why they don't murder because they're afraid of the executioner. Here, something changes. Now you're afraid of what? You're afraid of the executioner and the Lord. Now you're afraid of God. And now you say, now my sins, it's not simply that this guy is going to inflict pain on me. It's that there is a God and he will judge me and he will throw me into hell forever. Now, the weight of the consequence of the law comes crashing down. And you see, well, why don't I want to sin? Anyone in the world will say, well, because I just don't want to get caught. But the Christian now says, or the person who is confronted by the law here says, the reason I don't want to sin is not only because I'm going to get caught, but because the Lord knows. And now my sins offend more than just a person. They offend God himself, Almighty. And now that's a real problem. And now, now, I'm, now I'm in trouble. The reason this is called the theological use is because this is the, the preaching of the law that is necessary to make someone a Christian. Unless you get this, unless you get the fact that you are, have sinned and offended God, 
then you cannot be a Christian, right? So if, in other words, if you think your sins are simply mistakes or things that you just didn't do right in this life against your neighbor or something, and that, that's who you offended, um, then you're never going to see what? Your need for a savior. You're, you're never going to need forgiveness, true forgiveness. But when you see that, look, I've, I've sinned against God, and now here's the problem. Not only that I've sinned against him, that I've offended him, but now there is nothing I can do about it. Absolutely nothing. Because once I've sinned, I've sinned. And that's it. And I, I've offended God, I've offended him. It's over, right? That's it. Um, this is, the again, what we call the chief use, the theological use. This is so, so important. Um, then I want... I want to tell you about this third use of the law. But before we get here, there's something that happens. Here comes cutting through in the midst of this despair of yourself. Of, my God, I've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. I'm a poor, miserable sinner. But I, I, what I've done and left undone, so on and so forth. Then comes cutting through is the gospel. And the beauty of the gospel that cuts right through all of that that says, while, while the, the, the word is preached, that you are indeed, uh, you do deserve temporal and eternal punishment, the gospel comes through and says, well, the Lord himself has forgiven all of your sins. And he will remember them no more. And he, he separates them from you as far as the east is from the west. And he drowns them in the depths of the sea. And he does this by grace through faith alone and not by works. That is beautiful. That's the gospel. And it comes through and it consoles the heart. And this heart that's broken and terrified of God now comes back together. Uh, create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. The Lord does this with his gospel. And he comforts and he consoles and he gives you hope when there was no hope, when there was only despair. And he gives you hope and he says, I love you. And I've given my son in exchange for your life. He suffered the punishment and the consequence for all of your sins, all of them. And, and he fulfilled the law on your behalf. That comes cutting through. And now, here, when, this, the, when these two things mix, when you get the law preached in its fullness, and then immediately after, someone despairing of themselves, and then they hear the comfort of the gospel to say, I can't save myself, I need somebody to save me. And Jesus comes swooping in and says, I will save you, I will do everything for you to save you. What does that make you? A Christian. Now, now you are a Christian at that moment because that, that's, what it, that, that's what it requires. So to, to believe in God, all right, to, you can't say I believe in Jesus if you don't know what your sin is or that you've offended him. Well, what are you believing in Jesus? Like what, what is the thing that you're believing about him? Um, we, th what the gospel requires of us is that we believe that he has forgiven our sins and that he, he is gracious and merciful to us. That's it. So again, here, you're not going to, if you're just terrified of the executioner, I can't, maybe I can work with that. I don't know. I can't, but you can't be a Christian. But it's, you're just way too far removed. If you are in this state that you say, oh no, not only have I done something wrong and the police are going to get me, but I, God is going to get me. I can work with that very easily. Your sins scare you? They terrify you? You're afraid of God? Okay, good. Let me tell you good news. Let me tell you about Christ who satisfied the wrath of God. He will not pour an ounce of this punishment out upon you. That's it. Okay, this is why it's the most important use. This is why it's so, so important that people see their sins before they see their Savior. Okay, now this change happens. And then we have the third use of the law which is um, rule. The curb, the mirror, and then the rule. And this is what we call the pedagogical use. Ah, beautiful word, yeah. <laughs> Pedagogy, just uh, fancy. Um, it just means teaching. It's the instruction. Here comes instruction. And this, and this is what you're getting at, what you two are getting at here. Uh, so even though there's one law, now we hear the law again. And now we have Christ. Now we have this forgiveness of sins. 
And now when we hear the law, do we hear a threat? Well, uh, well, there's still a threat, but it doesn't scare me, right? It doesn't scare me because it, when I heard the threat alone and I didn't know about Jesus, then it was terrifying. And now when I hear the threat again, but I have Jesus and I know what he's done for me, I'm not as scared. In fact, I'm not scared at all. Now, when I hear his law, then what, what do I think of his law? I think it is good and beautiful. And I say, I... Yeah, and just, and I say, I want to do that. I, I want to keep the law. So what God says is not just, because the law isn't bad. The, the law was terrifying to me because I am so poor and miserable. But now that I have Christ, that threat and the teeth of the law is gone. And now when I see the law, I want to keep it. So this is why you get in the scriptures, uh, Paul will do this. Well, in Ephesians uh, itself, he's talking about, um, we're saved by grace through faith alone, all of this. And he nails that home, drives it home, the first three chapters of the book. And then the final three, what does he do? He gives instruction, pedagogy. And he says, now, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. In other words, love your wives as Christ has loved you. So now you hear that and... Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's an instruction. You learn from it. And then you say, well, I want to do this. Now, all I'm saying here is the law in all of this, has it changed? No. What has changed? Us. You. You have changed. You have changed from, from worrying just about temporal consequences to now worrying about eternal consequences to now being comforted by the gospel of Christ. And then you have changed to now hear the word of God, the law, and be happy and to, to delight in the law. To say, I want, the, I want to keep the word of God. Um, and, and so this is, this is it. So when somebody says, what, what you were pointing out before, when somebody says, well, I know Jesus, and I know the gospel, so it doesn't matter what I do. Are they really convinced of this? <laughs> no. I, they're, they're still stuck. They, this still needs to happen. This. And it hasn't happened yet. They haven't been terrified of their sin and seen the magnitude of their sin and the magnitude of the consequence of their sin. So they're just flip. What they've done is they've kind of bypassed all of this and just talked about the gospel in a way that, uh, yeah, well, well, Jesus died for me. Okay. And, and there's nothing more to that. There's, there's no deeper um, uh, uh, adoration of him. There's no deeper investigation to look at his wounds and to see who Christ is and to say, look at all he bore for me. Look at all he did for me. There's just no, there's no desire for that. It's just, and what they do then is they take the gospel and they use it as a license to sin. They say, well, look, Jesus died for me. So, so what? So therefore I can, I don't know, shack up with my girlfriend. I can sleep around. I can, it doesn't matter. I could be lazy at work. I could, uh, just fill in the blank. This is what they'll do. So the gospel then is a license. And the problem is they never understood this. And to somebody like that, the, my recommendation is to preach the law in its fullness to them. And say, look, let, let me tell you, I don't think you're really getting this, um, how, how offensive your sins are to God. Um, and then finally, when, when that reality sets in, their heart is broken, <laughs> then then the gospel comes. And then they'll hear it with different ears. And they'll hear, oh, what a relief, right? It's, it's, a, it's a great comfort. But really, they have no comfort. It's just, for them, it's just a historical knowledge. It's like a, it's like a, philo- a philosophy or something. Like, oh yeah, Jesus died for me. I know he died for my sins. That's a big deal. That should change your entire life. That should change every fiber of your being. If, you, if that were, t- if this is true, if, this is true, that the right and just reward for your sin is that you burn in hell forever and that Jesus suffered that in place and, and in your place and took away the consequence of your sin. That would be a massive change in you if that were true. Right? That's why we get to go to church instead of happening. Yeah, yeah, so, so exactly. So the Christian doesn't view the law as something, well, I have to do this. Uh, but he says, no, I want to. I get to. Uh, this is my desire, is that. Yeah. I was going to say, they kind of use it as an insurance policy. Mm-hmm. Like on the back burner, just to say, 
Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I, I signed the paperwork, I did the stuff, and uh, I can just kind of live recklessly, and this will come in and save me at the end. Yeah, but that's coming from the mouth of someone who, who has not been ter- uh, terrorized and haunted by the law and comforted truly by the gospel. Yeah. When you get into specific things, like you mentioned living together. Right. Okay. Within the Lutheran church, it depends on the congregation itself, whether they buy it's a big deal. It's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. ELCA, Lutheran church. You know, yeah. The result is the same according to them. They go, nope, that's not a big deal. You, yeah, just deal with it. Yeah. So it depends on the individual congregation in right. some cases for which particular item you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's, that's the shame. Um, it should be the same in all of the churches because you would assume that they're all using the same scriptures. And when they look at it and they say, it says this, keep the marriage bed undefiled, pure and undefiled. What does that mean? Does that mean put, fill it with anybody? No. I mean, it's, it's the marriage bed. It's talking about husband and wife. Um, the sixth commandment, you shall not commit adultery. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we live sexually pure and decent lives and what we say and do and husbands and wives love and honor each other. Um, there's, there's more to it. But what they're doing, the, the preachers of those churches, is they're just minimizing this. So again, they're skipping something important and just fast forwarding here. And that's where they stay. And, but th- then there's never any instruction. And... Um, that, that's the other thing. Either there's a problem here or a problem here. Um, but, and then there's no instruction to say, look, um, yes, it is true that Christ has forgiven all your sins. Um, but you're running back to your sins again. He took them away from you. And then you're going to the spot where he, dug, where he, where he uh, buried them and you're digging them up again and rolling over in it like a pig like a dog returning to its vomit. The Lord saved you from the sin of adultery, and now you're running back to it. Why? Why are you doing that? And then pretending right? that it's good along with the rest of the world. Right. Like and that, or calling darkness light. Right. Celebrating with pride. To, to say, look, this is responsible to cohabitate. This is responsible for us. trial period. Yeah, exactly. It, it would minimize the chance of divorce if I did this or something. Or to say, um, love is love, and so... Or, or I want to care about women, and so therefore I'm going to do this. No, the, the point is we, we hold to the fullness of God's law. This is what he said. Now, as the Christian then doesn't rebuke the law, and the Christian doesn't cast away God's law and say, oh, no, that's, that's a thing of the past. Jesus himself said, I didn't come to abolish the, the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. That's a promise. That's a great promise. But, again, he, does, he didn't come to abolish them. Um, so the law then is good and is holy and is something that we want to do as Christians. And uh, we never scoff at the law or what it says to us. Never do that. Yeah. Let's go back to what we heard in the epistle, Romans 6, 1. Yes, good. Shall we continue, what then, shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? By no means. Yeah, but good. But my question is, how do you, do we always feel in the sense of the great weight of the law. How do we live through life not minimizing the law? Because we have the gospel. So we feel in our hearts like, I can do anything because God will just forgive me. I'll just come back on Sunday and confess my sins and God will forgive me anyway. So Mm -hmm. what's the fear now? How do we live that way? So that is what you're describing is the Christian life. Uh, Is this the sinner and saint thing? Uh, not quite. But, yeah, sort of, but not quite. Um, Luther described it this way. He said, trying to get the Christian life is like a drunk man trying to mount a donkey. <laughs> and just picture it. So there's the donkey, and he stinks, and then there's this drunk guy, and he tries to mount the, the donkey, and then he falls on the other side. And then he gets up, he dusts himself off, he gets up, He's there for wobbles a bit, falls on the other side. And it's comical, and you just see this endlessly until he dies or something. So um, that, Luther says, is what the Christian life is like. So that one Sunday, you're going to come in and feel, uh, not, not even Sunday, I'll just take Sunday for example, but you come in and you're down of your, on your sins. You say, man, I feel awful. 
I feel so guilty for what I did. Um, and so you have this, this weight upon you here. And then what do you need to hear? The gospel. And then another Sunday you'll come in pretty confident saying, you know what, I feel pretty good. I've done well. Um, I feel like everything is fine. And then you're going to be confronted with the law. And you're going back and forth and back and forth. That this is going to be constant. The only thing that's going to get it right is, let me put it this way. You, individually, will never apply this well to yourself. You will either only excuse yourself or accuse yourself in your sins. So you, so you cannot preach to yourself the law and the gospel. Because when you need to hear the law, what are you going to end up preaching to yourself? Probably the gospel. Everything's well, okay. everything's okay. I'll be fine. I have Jesus. When really you should be hearing, yeah, that's a sin. You need to repent. And then on the other hand, when you're despairing and in your sins and say, oh man, I did so bad. Uh, what do people do is they'll preach to themselves the law. And they say, well, I didn't do this. And they despair, they despair and then they drive themselves to unbelief when they should be hearing the gospel, right? So this is why the, this is why the Lord instituted the, the, the office of the holy ministry, the preaching of the word, that this would confront you and come from the outside and confront you where you are, um, as opposed to every person just being their own pastor or their own preacher or, or whatever it is. Yes, yeah. two questions here. Correct. Because I think a lot of people look at the Bible and do not read it and think, oh, this is full of all these, all these holy people that, you know, did never sinned and everything. Mm. And, you know, you look at, you know, people worried about getting caught. I mean, most people don't get caught. Most people go right. through it and, and, and they escape. They don't face now, the authority. You wonder, you know, if they don't, don't they realize God sees them doing this? Well, if you read the Bible, one of the biggest names in the Bible is David. And look what David was doing. Didn't he realize God saw him, what he was doing? It took Nathan to take that mirror and shove it right in his face. Yeah, very good. Pastors, I mean, you know, so, you know, once he saw that, I mean, because there's a lot of people, it's not just us. I mean, it's everybody. The Bible, there's no one that goes unscathed in the Bible. Yeah. We all need that mirror and all that in order to get us on to the third. Yeah, very good. Yeah. So we talked about that we individually cannot see when what we're going to tell ourselves is not what we need to hear. Right. And we're not always around pastors. So what is the role for us and for others as brothers and sisters in the faith to help each other with this? Yeah. Support each other? That's what we call also the mutual consolation of the brethren is uh, the Christians speaking to one another. And um, right, we, we can confess our sins in, in three directions. We can confess our sins to God directly. Uh, we can confess our sins to the pastor whom the Lord has given. Uh, we can also confess our sins to our neighbor that the Lord had. And this is all in the scriptures too. Uh, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. James also talks about confess your sins to one another. Um, why would that exclude the pastor? It wouldn't. Um, John 20 says, uh, if you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it's withheld. So all of these together uh, point to the fact that we have many resources to go to, to hear the word of God, right? And even to talk to other Christians about this. So, yeah, I mean, this is precisely where parents come in. <laughs> um, this is where authorities, this is where husbands and wives come in, where wives have the authority from God himself, right? They are to be in submission to their husband, but they have the authority to then rebuke their husband with the word of God and to say, well, this is what God says. So I'm appealing to a higher authority. Yes, God made you the head of the home, but who's the, who's the head of the world is the Lord. And so here's what the scriptures say, and this is what the Lord says, right? Ne never kind of beating each other up and being legalists about it, like, ah, you know, do this. Rather, showing and by... Um, uh, by the clear preaching of the word, by showing what, what it is in the scriptures. Um, so yeah, that's the role that Christians have with one another. So this is also why it's so important for Christians to be in community with one another. One, it's a gift of God that he created. Uh, he also warns against uh, isolation. Uh, Hebrews ten twenty five. he says, don't forget to meet together as is the habit to, of some, 
don't neglect this thing. Uh, rather, he wants us to be together. And if you just isolate yourself and be, go off into a monastery, uh, you never have to practice repenting to somebody, saying sorry. You also never have to forgive anybody. You never have to deal with any sin, anyone's sins. You don't have to deal with anybody. Like, how great would that be, right? But that's, n- that's not the life that God called us to, right? He says, in fact, that's a sin to then isolate yourself in that way. Yeah, Robin. Yeah. That is a good question. How do you deal with those who scoff at the word of God? Um, this, th- this requires wisdom. When to preach and when to know you're preaching these, these words. When to say what and how much to endure. Um, um, wh- what does the Proverbs say? Uh, Rebuke a wise man and he'll be wiser still. Uh, and then it, it gives the warning, don't reprove or don't rebuke a scoffer. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, re- how does it go? Uh, rebuke a wise man and he'll be wiser still. Re- rebuke a scoffer and he will hate you. Right? And, and so what's happening there is that they, they have anger. They're angry at this. They're really angry at the law, the words. But it's a misguided anger. So they're angry at you because you said it. <laughs> but, he, but it's true. It's objectively true. But they, they turn their anger towards you and they say, well, that's not, I don't like it because you're bothering me by saying the truth. <laughs> and Correct. It, it, it is. That's the thing. So... Again, it's, it's a thing that requires wisdom, which means we don't have a clear black and white answer on this. Um, and each situation is unique and individual to, to the person to say, well, what is the relationship here? What, what's, these, what's going on here? What's the history? You can use your reason up to a sense. But then after that, um, it is only the word of God that's going to change their heart. I mean, this is what I preached about last Sunday about um, Peter um, and Jesus telling him to let down the net again. And that this is a, an image of the Christian life and, and the word of God affecting people. Um, it was crazy for Peter to say, like Peter said, give me a technique, give me something, give, give me some sort of uh, tangible study that shows me where to let the net down so that I would catch these, these fish. And then Jesus gives, by our standards, the worst advice. Go out to the deep, let down your net again when you haven't caught anything all night. And he catches these fish in, to the point that his boat is sinking. Uh, the biggest catch of his life. And to, to draw from that is that this is what the Lord is teaching to Peter. It's not only true with this miraculous catch of fish, but it's also true with the word of God. Uh, people will be converted by preaching the word again and again. So that when somebody, um, yeah, when somebody says, look, I've, I've said this to my son or daughter or family member so many times and they just don't hear it, then my advice is what the, the Lord's advice, which is say it again. <laughs> just say it one more time, one more time. Um, and, and you keep saying it and you don't give up or grow weary because you're not seeing results. That doesn't mean... It, their anger, their annoyance, whatever, doesn't mean the word of God isn't working. The word of God is doing, the word of God is powerful, alive and active. It's a, sharper than any double-edged sword. Um, don't give up because you can't see the result yet, right? Uh, just listen to the Lord's word, and this is what he said. Now, in, in this way, we have a, a special duty to our families our, and our loved ones to speak to them and to be uh, gentle, but firm in speaking this and say, look, this is true. This is, this is what the truth is. This is what God has said. Um, and to continue with it. 
with with strangers, I mean, you can't have that same sort of connection, right? If you run across someone at Walmart, like you can't be pestering them. You're going to get arrested. <laughs> you can't you can't follow them into you can be persistent, right? Uh, Augustine has this really great quote uh, where he says, "What is softer than water? Nothing. And what's harder than rock? Nothing." And yet, because of the persistency of the water dripping on the rock, what does it do? It gives way, and the rock splits, and there's, it, it, there's a hole drilled into it, just because of the persistency. So here you have the hardest thing, the softest thing, and yet the persistency uh, makes way through this. So in the same way, yeah, what's harder than a rock? I think the human heart. Um, and yet you have the word of God, and you preach this again, you say it again and again, and don't grow weary or faint um, let God's word do its work. And you may see the fruit of it. You may not. But um, you leave that to God. He says, um, I, Paul says it, um, I planted, Apollos watered, but God made it grow. So just focus on what your job is, right? So you say, well, this is my job. I'm a mother, so I'm going to be a mother. And this is what mothers do. <laughs> I'm a father. This is what fathers do. I'm a brother. This is what brothers do. And so worry about the effort, but don't worry about the outcome. You leave the outcome to God. And you say, I don't care if I'm getting annoying. <laughs> um, I care that you know the truth, right? Uh, that, that's, that's what's most important. Yeah. This may not apply to family per se, but what about the scripture that says, preach and teach as long as they will listen and then move on and shake the dust off? Yeah, so that's going to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Uh, that's when Jesus sends the 70 uh, so out to preach. And then he says, if they don't receive you, shake the dust off your sandals and move on. You know, so, so there is a time, I think, when, you know, out with the stranger in the world that, look, you've got to shake the dust off your sandals. I can't. I've done, I've done what I can as, as just a, a brother here. But... If you're not going to listen to me, then I, uh, my, my time here, here is done. But there's, there's a different thing, you know, it, there's a different realm when it comes to the family that the Lord has. Because the stranger is kind of when you come across someone you choose to be around or something or a coworker or something like that. But family is who the Lord has given you. And there's a special duty given to each person in the family to then, because you love your family, that, that you'd say... Do we frustrate each other? Do we, <laughs> do we uh, uh, annoy each other? Yeah, sure. But uh, there's a great and deep love here. And um, so I'm going to be persistent and continue. You, you know, I've seen this a lot of times where, you know, th- this is kind of a, a I'll, I'll talk about this a little bit, but I've seen parents who have strived for years to get their children to go to church and they've been persistent with them and, you know, continue through their life and they're praying and this is kind of something that's agonizing them throughout their life. And then I've done funerals where I've buried the the father or the mother. And it's amazing that then the children go and their ears are opened at that funeral. (laughs) And so I get to see it. From my point of view, I see this worked out. It worked. And now this child is in church. And now this, this person's faith is stronger than it was before. That doesn't mean that um, the prayers weren't answered, right? It doesn't mean that this was all in vain. In fact, you may, may that mother, that father that was buried, didn't get to see it in their life, right? But that kept them turning to the Lord, praying, praying, God, convert them, please help them. And then the day comes that they die and then they say a final word to their son or daughter. Uh, and then... Uh, that event of death breaks that child's heart and then finally they can hear the gospel. And, and there have been times, I'm not saying it's every time, I'm not saying it's a guarantee, I'm not doing that, but I am saying there have been times when that has happened. So don't give up or lose hope on that. Don't think that, look, I, I just haven't seen the results, therefore it's futile. No. There are times that even God will use the very death of the parent to be the moment of their child's conversion or, or repentance. So, um, so as Christians, yeah, we, ne- we, ne- we don't grow weary. We, um, 
we get frustrated, but um, you you leave that frustration with God. You pray to Him and say, God, you know you know how frustrated. In fact, you're probably more frustrated with it than I am. <laughs> uh, you know all things, and you desire the 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 not the death of the wicked. You desire that all would repent and live. Um, so give me strength to deal with this. You know. So, okay, real quick, are there any questions? I know we kind of got off track there, but that's okay. Um, this is very important because the next, what we're going to do next time is focus on the Ten Commandments and go through the law, kind of like I did in the sermon today in church. Um, go through the law, commandment by commandment. And I'll just give a fair warning on that, that uh, you, you may see that there are things you are doing in life that are against the commandments that you didn't realize before. Um, and that is actually a good thing. It sounds contrary to reason, but it is a good thing. And that is a good thing for you to learn and to know because then you will learn to repent and you'll learn uh, what forgiveness is. So, uh, but keep that in mind. Next week, we'll uh, cover the 10 commandments going through each one individually. Um, all right.